Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad you're joining me on this Friday. Well, it's Friday, but thank the Lord, Sunday's coming, right? And I love Fridays because it's the end of the week. It gives us an opportunity, uh, hopefully, to spend some time with our families and spend some time worshiping and serving in our church. And so uh, so today, uh, we're going to wrap up this two-day message, two-part message on faith departure. Now, what has caused so much departure from the faith? I think it's one word, pride. I was reading an article by David Brooks. Uh, He is the author of Road to Character, and he observes how differently we deal with promoting our own success. Uh, The difference between how we are today and how we were, say, 40, 50 years ago, Uh, and maybe even longer than that. Well, the day after Japan surrendered, 1945, World War II ended. Well, singer Bing Crosby appeared on a radio program. It was called The Command Performance. And he said, well, it looks like this, he said. What can you say at a time like this? You can't throw your hat up into the air. That's for a run-of-the-mill holiday. I guess all anybody can do is thank God it's over. David Brooks says, I was really struck at this supreme moment of American triumph, that we weren't beating our chest. Uh, We weren't super proud of ourselves. We were deeply humbled. Thank God it's over. And he says, I found this so beautiful and so moving. And I thought there's really something to admire in that public culture. Well, shortly after studying for this book that he wrote, The Road to Character, he says, what happened at World War II He says, I saw that response by singer Bing Crosby. He says, then I watched a professional football game. And he says, I observed something very different. A quarterback throws a short pass to the wide receiver, who was tackled almost immediately for just a two-yard gain. The defensive player did what all professional athletes do these days in moments of personal accomplishment. He did a self-puffing victory dance as the camera lingered. It occurred to me that I had just watched the most self-celebration after a two-yard gain than I had ever seen before. There was more celebration over a two-yard gain than there was the United States winning World War II. When we look at our culture, you talk about a pride-driven culture. That is where we are. So many people have departed from the faith, not because the faith is bad, not because the faith is unsubstantiated, not because we don't have good logical reasons for the faith, but because we love our sins more than we love our Savior. We have become filled with pride. The Bible says that pride is the root of all kinds of evil. So as we look at how we depart from the faith and why we depart from the faith, we learn that we will depart from the faith because our hearts are divided. We have a double-minded heart, and a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Listen, if a person is sold out and given their life completely over the Christ, they have no fear of departing from the faith. If their confidence and their faith is in Christ and in Christ alone, they are firm. The men and the women that I love the most because of the firmness of their faith have always been those who bring it back to the Word, bring it back to the Gospel, bring it back to Christ. We are saved by Christ and Christ alone. 
We don't have a misunderstanding of that. We understand that there's nothing redeemable within us. Everything that we have belongs to Christ. He is the one that has redeemed us. That will keep you on the level of humanity by walking in a humble fashion. And we learned yesterday that it's also a heart that is not only divided, but a heart that is deceived. You know, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then we learn today that it's a heart that is hardened, a heart that is filled with pride. It's only the power of the cross that can break us of that pride. David said, when I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity, I confess my sins, then I was given forgiveness. You see, pride is so hard to confess because it is the very root of the problem. So today, I want to encourage you to remain steadfast by remaining humble. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, I've noticed something about people who depart from the faith. I've noticed this in my own life when I was a younger man and was beginning to drift in my faith. I learned that I would no longer be encouraging to another person. I'd no longer be building up others. I developed this critical spirit. Uh, Just the other day, I was talking to somebody who kind of had dropped out of church, and and I encouraged this person to go to church. And so this person doesn't live in this part of the country, and and so he went to a, a church service. And he called me shortly after going to that church service, and he told me all about it, and told me everything that was wrong with that church service. And I didn't know how to encourage him to reframe his mind. The point of reference I felt was totally misconstrued, and he found everything that was wrong with the church. And I encouraged him. I said, listen, has it ever occurred to you that God brought you into that church so that you can be the answer to some of the shortcomings of that church, so that you can be the solution to some of the problems of the church? If you see all of these problems, has it ever occurred to you that maybe God says, I want you to be the one to answer those problems? He saw the weaknesses of that church, and he felt like the church was not exactly right on certain things. I said, well, maybe, just maybe, God is wanting you to help that church. Uh, now, I don't know how it's going to respond, because I just, I was going to respond because I just talked to him yesterday, but I'm praying that God will re-guide his steps, and that God will allow him to be an encouragement to others. You see, the first step of falling by the wayside is that we no longer encourage one another. We no longer build up each other. Paul says, you have been doing that. Keep doing that. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Okay, here's the second thing. Number one, we stop encouraging. Number two, we stop acknowledging those who work hard among you. When you go to church on Sunday, has it ever occurred to you that maybe at the end of the service, you ought to go up to the worship director and say, or the worship pastor and say, hey, you know what? I really appreciate you leading our worship team today. Uh, You know, uh, the worship team is a bunch of different personalities all coming together, and they're they're always working together for a common goal. Uh, But you get all those different personalities together, and that is a recipe for conflict right there. And so a, a good worship leader will bring the team together, work hard among you. Uh, So you ought to thank them. How about the people who watch your children 
in the nursery, when you go pick up your kids, or, or the people that watch your children up in children's church, when you go pick up your children, uh, why don't you say, hey, thank you so much for taking care and teaching my children, right? Instead of complaining, go there and acknowledge those who work hard among us. I've discovered when I stop giving thanks for God's people, I begin to drift in my faith. Paul says, those who admonish you. Have you ever thought about how hard your pastor works to put together the sermon every week and to admonish you? Those who admonish, those are the people that sometimes speak difficult truth to our lives. But we need those people in our lives. Paul says, we're to hold them in highest regard. We're to to love them because of their work. We're to live in peace with each other. In the book of Acts, the church is just coming together, and it has experienced exponential growth. But it says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the apostles' fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And here we see the church coming together around the fellowship time and around the breaking of the bread and around the teaching of God's Word. If you want to avoid drifting in your faith, you've got to be involved in exhortation and encouraging others daily. You also have to remain steadfast from the beginning to the end. Jesus gives his model prayer in John 15. In Matthew 6, he teaches us how to pray. In John 15, he gives us a prayer. And in that chapter, before the prayer begins, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So this is a challenge to remain steadfast, remaining as branches in Christ. Then Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain not in me, you're like that branch that is thrown away and it withers. Those branches are packed up, thrown in the fire, and they're burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you ask, whatever you wish, it will be done. Remaining steadfast. You know, the older I get, the more I appreciate those who remain steadfast, those who hang in there, right? I was telling my congregation just yesterday, I said, uh, I've been around long enough now that I've, I've experienced many couples who are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. That's an unbelievable feat. Just recently, I had a, a wedding ceremony, a renewal of the vow ceremony for a couple uh, that is celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. You know, in all my time of dealing and interacting with couples who have had long-term marriages, I've never had anybody who's been married 50 years tell me, you know what, I really regret I've been married 50 years. I haven't found one yet. They always say the same thing. Man, I'm so glad I stuck it out. We have had some hard times. We have had some difficulties, but I'm so glad I hung in there. I'm so glad I didn't quit. I'm so glad we had made it to this golden wedding anniversary, 50 years of marriage. You know the same thing I have found with pastors who stay long-term in their churches? 
I've never had a pastor say, man, I regret staying at that church for 35 years. I've noticed it too with long-term church members. I've never run into a church member that stayed at a church for a long time and said, man, I wish I hadn't stayed at this church for so long. Most of us give up way too fast. We don't remain steadfast. We don't hang in there. In Hebrews chapter 3, the author actually repeats part of Psalm 95 for us. And he begins as he's explaining this passage, and it's going to continue on into chapter number 4. But Paul explains to us that most people understand sin to mean wrong things that they do against God. But our sins are not just wrong actions. Sin also includes wrong and evil attitudes in our hearts. Jesus taught that wrong attitudes in people's hearts cause all kind of wicked behavior. So when Moses was leading God's people through the desert, their worst sin was not the sin of rebellion. Their worst sin was the wrong attitude of their hearts that led to the sin of rebellion. That's Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 8. They did not want to trust God. So because they didn't want to trust God, they were going to disobey Him. Their other sins were the result of this wrong attitude. This attitude of, I'm not trusting God. I refuse to trust God. This particular sin is actually called unbelief. By unbelief here, I don't mean doubts of a sincere person. You know, a person who who sincerely wants to know God, uh, they're going to have some reservations. I mean just the opposite. The people whom Moses led, their problem was they were not sincere. They did not want to have a relationship with God. And their problem was not really doubt. They knew about God. They saw the miraculous. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw God provide manna and quail. Their problem was the decision that they choose to make about him. They refuse to accept his authority over their lives. You know, another name for unbelief is lack of faith. Faith means I have this act of belief and I trust God's word. It's impossible to have faith unless we first hear God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if we refuse to trust and obey, that is unbelief. Now, what are the results of unbelief? I want you to know the results of unbelief. They are very serious. The people of Moses, that Moses led, could not enter into Canaan because of this sin. Can you imagine that? You're wandering around for 40 years in the desert, and you never get to get into the land of Canaan because of your unbelief. That's what held them back. And as a result of that unbelief, there's some very serious consequences for us today. You know, unbelief will ruin a person's relationship with God. It will cause us to be separated from a relationship with Him. It's not that He gives up on us, but we give up on Him. That's what it is. We no longer choose to see Him because we no longer believe Him. I want to look at a an Old Testament passage in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse number 17, it says, And the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for you have found favor with me. 
and you are my friend. Oh, I love that, don't you? Don't you want to be a friend of God? Uh, wouldn't it be neat if God could say this about you? And then Moses had one more request. He says, please let me see your glorious presence, he said. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name. The Lord to you. I'll show you my kindness and to anyone I choose, and I will have mercy to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see my face and live. The Lord continued, Stand here on the rock beside me. As my glorious present passes by you, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. You know, as I look at that verse, we can't see God. If we saw him directly face to face, according to this passage, we would be consumed. But God gives us a glimpse of him only to those who believe. Faith means I have this active belief and I trust in God and I trust his word. You see, the result of unbelief is very serious. You will never understand or see God. The result of belief is that I will see God. Let me tell you this little story that I was reading not too long ago. It's a story about a little guy named Paul, and Paul helped his grandpa. And he loved to hang out with his grandpa, and he loved to work in the garden with his grandpa. But one spring day, it was kind of a cloudy day, he brought up something that was very puzzling. He says, how can God be three persons and still be only one? Paul asked his grandfather. My Sunday school teacher says God is a trinity, that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're all one. That's hard to understand. Well, Grandpa agreed, but it's in the Bible. He handed Paul a package of radish seeds. Want to plant these? Sure, said Paul, looking up in the sky. But I wish the sun would come out. As Paul began to sow the tiny seeds, Grandpa smiled. You just mentioned the sun up in the sky, and it's a good illustration of the Trinity. It is, Paul asked. Yes, it illustrates God the Father, Grandpa said. Well, tell me, has anyone ever seen the sun? Sure, said Paul. Wrong, said Grandpa. No one has seen the great ball of fire we call the sun without going blind. It's impossible to look directly at the sun. What we see is light from the sun, and that's like God the Father. Exactly, said Grandpa. The Bible says no one has seen God the Father. He is so great and glorious that human beings cannot look at him. But we know him through the Bible, and we know him through nature. Paul thought about what Grandpa's explanation said and said, Okay, but what about the S-O-N, the Son and the Spirit? I'll get to those, replied Grandpa. First, let's go water what we have planted. I want you to know, you can't see the S-O-N directly, but you can experience him. Every time the wind blows, we feel the wind, but we don't see the wind. Every time we experience something of that level, it is a reminder of who God is. Well, how about you today? Are you having trouble seeing God because you can't see him? Are you having trouble with the sun? You know, you can't see the sun either, but you certainly don't doubt that the sun exists, even when the sun goes behind the clouds. 
I don't doubt it exists. I know it's there. It's just hidden by the clouds. I want you to know, no one has seen God, but his only son, he himself is God. I want to encourage you to have a relationship with the God of the universe. The stronger your relationship with God is, the stronger will be your resistance to fall from the faith. God doesn't want us falling by the wayside. He wants us in communion with him. I want to close with a passage from 1 John chapter number 1. And I want you to think about this passage of scripture. In the beginning, the word already existed. It was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything that there is. Nothing exists that he didn't make. Life itself was in him. And this life gives light to everyone. The light shines down out through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent John the Baptist to tell everyone about that light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself wasn't that light. He was only a witness to that light. The one who is the true light, he gives light to everyone, was going to come into the world. But although the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. And when he did come, they didn't recognize him. Even in his own land, among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believe in him, to those he gave the right to become the children of God. So are you a child of God today? Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Do you know him as your Lord? If not, why not today? Enter into this wonderful love relationship with him. The Lord loves you so much and and he knows everything about you. There's nothing about you that takes him by surprise. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. He knows the very hairs on the top of your head. He created you so unique that there's nobody that has the same DNA as you. Nobody has the same personality as you. Nobody has the same fingerprint of you. You are very unique. God created you just the way you are. He created you in his image, and he loves you so much that he wants to have a relationship with you. You know, we come into this world with lots of questions. We want to know, how do we get here? Well, I want you to know you are here because God placed you here. God formed you from the dust of the ground. Oh yeah, you came through your mom and dad, but God created Adam and me from the dust of the ground. He created you in his image, and he has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. The second question we always ask ourselves is, well, what am I supposed to do while I'm here? You only have a short life to live. It's soon going to be gone. You're not going to live for another hundred years. If you're listening to me today, you only have a short time to live. Only one life to live. James says that our life is as a steam, as a vapor that appears for just a little while and then it's gone away. You see, God has created us for such a time as this with a purpose. Solomon lived his life, trying to figure out what his purpose in life was. He tried a whole lot of things. He tried money. That left him empty. He tried working real hard. That left him empty. He tried women, and and he tried having a bunch of wives and a bunch of concubines. That left him empty. He tried wine. That left him empty. He said, meaningless, meaningless. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. He finally discovered that the purpose of his life was to glorify God. It was in God that he found his 
glory. As he obeyed God and as he kept his commandments. The last question we ask of our lives is what's going to happen to me when I die? The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. I don't know when that day is going to be, but it's already set on God's calendar. We're appointed once to die. After this, the judgment. One day we will meet Jesus. We'll meet him face to face. The question will not be how good we've been in life. The question is, do you know Jesus Christ? There's only one way to get into God's heaven. That is by faith in Christ alone. Today, if you'd like to receive the free gift of salvation, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's simple as ABC. Admit I'm a a sinner. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and confess him as Lord. Admit, believe, confess. Pray a simple little prayer. Lord, come into my heart. Save my soul. And he will hear that prayer and He will redeem you today, I promise you. Now, if I can pray for you, shoot me a quick text message. That number is 252-267-2365. I would love to pray for you, 252-267-2365. Well, God bless you. Enjoy your weekend. Spend some time with your family, but don't forget to worship the Lord this weekend. I look forward to talking to you on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.